0: Welcome to episode 8 of the Narrative Wargaming Podcast, a non-competitive 40k podcast with a focus on fun and narrative gameplay, as well as hobby news and our latest hobby projects. I am Tony Rhodes, and tonight I'm joined once again by Dave Barker. Hi Tony, thanks for having me back. Hello, well you say having you back, but once again, you're out of the country, still in India. Hey,
1: that's true, well not still in India, I've been back <laughs> home twice since, and I'm due home again, what time is it now? Yes, in about six, seven hours I'm flying home again, so uh, I'm looking
0: forward to be back in the UK. Well, we'll have to catch you in the UK one day, one day for one of these yeah. shows. But Absolutely. Uh, But in the meantime, as always, before we get started, you can find us at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook, or you can follow us on Twitter at Narrative40k, and over on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer. You can also contact us via email at narrativewargamer at gmail.com if you have any questions or if you'd like to join us on a future episode. And finally, if you want to support the show and help us grow, you can do so by joining our Patreon for only $2 a month. The support from our patrons helps towards the cost of producing the show and towards awesome new content for you guys in the future. And we do actually now have our first um, patron rewards now live, so any of our first-tier patrons can now get access to the Narrative War Game Discord and to our patron-exclusive like Facebook chat group. So, um, yay, you get to <laughs> enjoy those, you get to bother me, Dave, um, and even Jake and... Um, Chris, oh god, that took me way too long to remember his name. Feel bad now, but yeah, you can bother us all on those channels. So yeah, that's uh, exclusive to our patrons.
1: Just as we do on the Narrative Wargaming Gaming uh, Facebook group, we look forward to talking to people about
0: what they're doing and, and how much always fun having with their hobby. Um, so if you are at all interested in any of that, or you would like to discover more from us, there are links to all of these different things in the description below. So please check them out and get involved with our growing community. So, with that uh, introduction out of the way, um, how are you Dave? How have you been?
1: Yeah, okay. had a busy time. Uh, I guess I've not been on since episode 4, so I managed to get a bit of painting done uh, in the meantime. and uh, I've got a lot more uh, Adeptus Astartes recently. I've uh, been painting a variety of things, but I've been playing uh, an awful lot more games really just with space Marines. Uh, so that's, uh, that's been a thing for me. Not add as much painting in the last month as I'd like, because uh, just work travel, as, as you already alluded to. Um I that, but, uh, but
0: from our show notes, it looks like you've got a fair bit of painting done, so... <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I would have expected to do a bit more, but that's mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: uh, maybe a small amount, but less than I would expect it for me, shall we say. Well, uh, I've
0: actually had to deal with um, a few issues around the house, like since right. the last show, we've got electricians in and all sorts, because... Uh, cats have been escaping. Wiring's been going. Been doing loads of spring cleaning this weekend, so I, I, I actually got more delayed on some of my project time than I was expecting to. But it's okay because I have still got plenty done. So yeah, I imagine
1: I've been away quite a bit. My wife, uh, I'm quite certain, has got a list of things that she wants me to do around the house when I get back. So <laughs> I'm sure I won't get back and get straight into painting on my uh, on my, my paint station garrison.
0: Well, uh, we'll just give the listeners a quick little rundown of what we are going to be discussing tonight. So you just mentioned there, yeah, the Penn Station garrison, as always. So say you've So yep. It's been a, a little while now since we've had you on the show, so I'm sure you've got a few things to go through. Plus, you've once again taken your Paint Station patrol with you abroad, so um, yes. there's a few things there that you might be working on as well. Um, I, as always, have been working on the uh, the dev schools and Terrain towards the board, so some nice new updates and progress there. There's also going to be an announcement for our new like Hobby Heroes Challenge, which we'll be discussing later in the show, and I think it'll be great to get the community involved in that, so looking forward to discussing that. Yeah, I look forward to getting um, that out there. Yep. Then we'll be going to discuss our games played, which, spoiler, I've not played any 40k. <laughs> so, yeah, few hectic weeks and not really had a chance but I did get to play some Necromunda so whereas I've played quite i played quite a
1: few games um, since yeah. uh, episode 4 and including a 12 hour trip to Warhammer
0: World so uh, uh, I'll come back to that later when we get into that section yeah it looks like you've got a good bit of uh, play time in so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> looking forward to hearing about all that um there will be various news and releases that we'll discuss later on towards the end of the show including the latest from the Psychic Awakening info and spoilers, which looks cool. Um, and tonight's spotlight topic is actually just going to be um, a shorter one, really, but one that's uh, one of uh, not personal to me as such, but uh, it's a favourite of mine. So it's, um, we're going to look at the Aetheric Storms from Chapter Approved in 2017, which basically it's. Officially, it's billed as one of these battle zones that we've discussed before, but it's a, it's a bit different to any of us because it's basically like the um, the old Warp Storm mechanic in the Chaos Demons book. Um, if okay. you've played a game of that from 7th edition. But yep. um, they're really cool. And it's um, it's something that they originally introduced with the Rise of the Primarch sort of story arc at the end of 7th because they originally released the Ferric Storm cards then. Um, but then, literally like three months later, that all got... Um, cleared away when um, the edition got reset and we started 8th edition but then in this chapter approved they reintroduced the Epheric storms so we're going to take a close look at that and it's really cool so that's everything that we're going to be discussing tonight and i think that is pretty much a good point to jump into our paint station garrison unless there's anything you want to add dave
1: no no just look forward to talking about it all so do you want to start with your paint station garrison tony Yeah, so we'll
0: take a quick break and then we'll be back with that in just a second. And we're back, guys. So today we've got the, not just the paint station garrison, but we've also got Dave's paint station patrol over in India. So um, we will, I think, start with Dave because you've got plenty of stuff to be going through and it has been a few weeks since you've been on the show. Give us an update. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So some of these, some of these things that I've completed were things that I'd, I'd mostly painted uh, when I was here uh, recording last time. Uh, that just needed uh, some basing but I, I got quite a bit in uh, new stuff painted after I got back. So uh, one of the first things that I'm quite, uh, I, I really quite like. I, I painted, and I think I posted these on the Nazi War Facebook group. I painted an aquatic alien ambassador and his guards. So like a humanoid uh, aquatic alien. Uh, with a couple of guards um, that I got from blind beggar miniatures so it's not a games workshop figure and I, I, I don't really have a specific plan for it and, and they're not the best sculpts in the world I think Paul was blind beggar would, would be happy for me to say that but they they're really characterful <laughs> and I really enjoyed painting them um, and they so I, I finished those two um, sorry three I, 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 an ambassador and two guards um, something else that i've finished that i've been i've been trying to get on with for a long time and find a good color scheme for and i've struggled with uh are some of hassle space dwarves uh, they're grim and that's that's building up i've got a, a classic squat army that's that's half painted using mostly games workshop miniatures uh, the old trikes and and all that stuff um that i've used in the past um but i, I want to build a, an army out of, of a free space dwarf so i managed to get 15 of their regular grim and five powered armored ones mm. which are a bit like terminators really <laughs> uh in, in fully enclosed armor so i managed to get um, uh, those guys finished um and i managed to finish the last of the 30 skeletons that i had um, so I'd finished twenty, I think, before we, we last recorded, and I've finished all thirty now. So um, they're really going to go into my uh, Death Army for Age of Sigma. But um, they're they're the old plastic. Uh, there's only a, a single pose skeletons that come as a a body and a separate arm uh, separate arms. And that's about all of the <laughs> the variation you've got when you're assembling those plastic figures. But they're great-looking skeletons, classic skeletons. And I'm sure I'll find all sorts of uses for those over the next few years uh, in all sorts of different games. Yeah. Uh, I managed to finish the first five of my Nuns with Laser Guns. Uh, they're from Troublemaker Games. I got them on Kickstarter. They're on their website now. Uh, and they are really what they say. They're Nuns with Laser Guns. <laughs> and they've made enough variation. I backed them on a Kickstarter. That's how I got I got mine. But um, there's enough variation in there that you can use them as proxies for guardsmen. Or I imagine when we see the Sisters Codex come through that they'll, uh, uh, they'll be able to proxy for that as well. Mm-hmm. So that will... Um, uh, but I'm really intending to use these for as PDF to go with my my Rainbow Warriors. Um, but I've, I've got a command squad finished of five uh, of those uh, ladies. Um, I also am quite pleased with these as well, these next ones. I, I finished a small squad of seven, um, the really old metal Eldar Guardians. Uh, well, I'm not really sure whether they're the Guardians or Pirates.
0: Uh, they might, yeah, might have the Eldar Pirates from that ago. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, but uh, I've always loved the old, uh, the old Jez Goodwin models for for the Guardians, and um, I, I I picked up a, a scheme. I've slowly been painting some Eldar. I've never really played Eldar properly. I've had a couple of games a second with them, um, but that's that's about it. Um, but I I, picked, I did have I do still have quite a, a sizeable epic army of Eldar, and I, I made up my own paint scheme when I was I don't know fifteen, uh, for my own craft world, and I've finally started painting painting some 28 millimeter figures for the, the, in the same style. Uh, and I'm really pleased with the way these came out, especially the contrast paints. The, the big thing that was most difficult on these is they, uh, the base body colour. Uh, originally, I used the old Citadel paint, Bilious Green, which is, is quite a lovely uh, yellow-green colour. Uh, there's not really very much in the current range that is actually a a good yellow green colour, and I couldn't really find one looking about. There was one in the Reaper series that I didn't really fancy picking up, um, yeah, so I,
0: I think, mixed it. I think the best one I'd know of really would be um, it's like camo green or something. I can't remember what it's called. Yeah, which yeah, yeah but that's... you, you mixed it over a little bit more yellow, like cayenne or something, might bring it up.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that'd be one way to achieve it, and I, I think I could achieve it
0: with uh, with normal paints in that kind
1: of way, but I um, I went a different route and mixed it with contrast paints and painted these guys using contrast paints, and they came together really quite quickly. So I believe I mixed together a and yellow and a very small touch of all flesh because the, uh, the green is, um, is really quite a strong colour in the mix. Um, so you, you have to use really quite a small amount, but it came out with exactly the kind of... Um, use the old colour name, bilious green sort of colour that I was looking for. So um, they were, as you can tell from the way I'm talking about incredible fun to paint. <laughs> and um, I did get, a, when I posted those on Twitter, I got a, an immediate retweet from uh, Gav Thorpe, so I was quite, <laughs> I'm quite pleased by that. <laughs> it always makes your day, right? Yeah, it does. Uh, and the last thing around completed painting is uh, over the summer holidays, because it was still the summer holidays uh, since our last talks. We, uh, my kids decided we. I went into the centre of Cambridge with my girls. Uh, we went to the Raspberry Pi shop because we were, were getting some stuff to help them with their computer science stuff, and uh, we ended up near Games Workshop. So the kids were, you want to go in, don't you, Dad? <laughs> like, oh, well, of course I want to go into Games Workshop. Um, and we ended up. I ended up buying them a box of towel. Uh, just fire warriors that they well they wanted the anime soldiers I think was the word they used. <laughs> so I assembled and primed those, and they painted five Tau each. And they they uh, they're not really into the hobby, but they know it's what I do, and every now and again they want to do some of it with me. So that was that was great fun painting with the kids, as I'm sure anybody who's got kids old enough to paint will, will understand. Uh,
0: I am looking forward to the day that my little one can start doing that. Like I've already decided yeah. to compile a few little things just for it to. Like you know, test out on even when she's really young. Like I've got um, I've got a little blank, like mini fig of um, is it Mike Wazowski from Monsters Inc? Um, so when she's you know little and she's like two or whatever, I'll probably let her loose with some paintbrushes on that and you know work her way down in scale till she gets to her twenty eight mils. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: yeah, no, it it is good when you get to that point. Um, I'm sure you'll enjoy it, Tony. So that's kind of it for my completed painting items. Um, uh, things that I brought on my paint station on patrol, I, I didn't really very much at home this time. So um, I got um, with all the the space marine stuff I've been doing, um, I realized I really needed to get on and paint some primaries for my uh, Rainbow Warriors. Uh, particularly some of the stories I've been telling have been using my uh, Rainbow Warrior Lieutenant, that due to his ability to roll sixes on his armor save was given a name by two of my opponents. He's now known as Leftit- Lieutenant Bastard um, <laughs> because because of the repeated sixes that he rolls, um, and that's that's one of the things I like well, about
0: Noguchi Walking. It's one of the I things I think we've talked about before. I saw that, that... Um, didn't you tweet that paint job when you finished that mini to the Primaris Lieutenant account on Twitter? Yeah, I think so. I think yeah. Yeah, yes, I did. He asked for paint jobs, and uh, that was very popular. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I think he uh, I think he commented somewhere along the lines of like, um, being proud of the noble heritage of the Rainbow Warriors. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I got a lot of comments. Uh, there was a whole
1: thread of comments from other people. who. Were, it was uh, funny seeing how many
0: see other Rainbow Warrior collectors and players sort of sprung up in that thread. Because I've yeah. never really noticed. I've never seen them pop up anywhere else. And suddenly, they all came out of the woodwork because there was a Rainbow <laughs> Warrior Primaris Lieutenant absolutely
1: and we are we are there in the background it's something it's something that took me by surprise when we get on to to games later uh, i'll talk about my trip to war world but uh, yeah the, the amount of interest i had with the figures there was even uh, equal uh, equally surprising uh, measure uh but because of that i've managed to paint my first five rainbow warrior primaries intercessors um so They've come together quite nicely. I've just I've got them all finished while I'm here, except for I need to get some static grass on the base. So after I get home, I'll, I'll get those finished and get some photos up on the Narrative Wargamer Facebook group. And I'll probably post them awesome. on Twitter as well. Um, I've also painted six uh, aquatic alien soldiers to go with the uh, the aquatic alien ambassador, again, from beggar Miniatures. So, uh, um, again, characterful. And I started on, on an alien ship's crew uh, to go with those as well. And then I've started a new army. Um, So I think I mentioned I was thinking about doing this last (laughs) time. I I didn't
0: even think there was an army that you didn't own.
1: Uh, I've never really painted a chaos army. I own enough figures that
0: uh, I wouldn't have a problem, and I've got enough uh,
1: bits of things i bought from other people that I can feel the painted army. But I've never really put together and assembled and painted my own uh, uh, chaos space marine army. So uh, certainly own one, but uh, not uh, not pinch myself. And I, I decided to, I wanted to put together something, uh, a mix of different things from different uh, areas. So I, I've, started, I've started on a Black Legion army uh, because that allows me to bring in lots of different things, uh, lots of different chaos yeah, things, and just put them all under the same banner.
0: Yeah, it's a good way of doing that, like mixing your different chaos forces and warbands. If you do, if you go Black Legion, yeah, absolutely.
1: So I started with just five Terminators. the... the plastic Terminators do look so cool um, with the, the Reaper Auto Cannon and, uh, and the,
0: the Sergeant with the, the Power Sword uh, is that actually the I guess going say is that the newest kit or is this one, That's one that right. you've dug up from somewhere in your collection
1: <laughs> <laughs> no no this is the new kit I was taken with them when they came out um, so I bought I bought the new kit of uh, uh, the Terminators and the regular Marines as well and uh, I'll certainly be mixing in more, more of the uh, the, the legacy figures for my existing collection in the future, but I wanted to start with those because they, were, they they took you know they inspired me to do it really when they released those, um, so they start coming together. Well, the the, the, the um, I, I hit a just a mental block. I've been using contrast paint so much recently, and contrast paints I'm finding that they work for me. They don't work for everybody, uh, but they they work for me. And I found you can almost just throw the paint on, just move it about where you need to be, just clean up with a little bit of white or tan, depending on what kind of undercoat you've got before, and then put the next colour on. Uh, And I find it really fast and effective way of painting. And, And all of a sudden, on on these Black Legion figures, both the Terminators and the Berserkers, you get the base colours on, and then there's a lot of gold trim. And there's you, contrast doesn't do metallics, of course. So all of a sudden, I'm doing a normal base cone again, and I'm kind of not used to it, and it feels so slow. <laughs> <laughs> and I keep distracting myself with other figures, like the, the aliens, the aquatic aliens I've talked about, because they're much faster to paint. And it's uh, just taken me a little bit of time just to deal with all of
0: that gold. <laughs> well, that's, that's funny but that yeah. you're, you're having to kind of like retroactively remember how you pre contrast.
1: That's right, that's right. And I, I mean I'll take it fairly straightforward. they'll probably I'll probably one of the paints that I quite like in the contrast range is the snake bite leather. Not just just because it's got the same name as an old old <laughs> sit up that I liked as well. But um it's it's quite a good wash. Just on its own. Yeah, and I have I found heard that it's a good one. Yeah. So, over the gold like this, I'll, I'll just put a little bit of the, the stain white leather, maybe on its own, maybe mix makes 50 50 with water, depends, uh, and then just highlight as normal um, uh, the gold on the, the Black Legion figures. Uh, but it's just taking a bit longer and it's just a little bit of a, a strange mental block, but um, I'm enjoying painting them so far. And then, when they're done, I didn't manage to start them this time, although they are here in my case. Uh, I've got 30 of the, the Chaos Cultists, the same ones you can get box sets of five. Uh, the ones that came with Dark Vengeance originally, I think. Um, so
0: I yeah, so wanted well, cool to go with them. Well, you mentioned that, I forgot to add in like the new uh, news, and new releases section because it's not strictly forty k. But um, they are releasing the uh, like cultist kit, uh, models from Blackstone Fortress as like a, a new standalone kit.
1: Oh, ah, Okay, I would so, missed that one in the news. Yeah,
0: because. Like I say, strictly speaking, it's not core 40k release, it's a boxed game release, but it is, like, it's all the cultists, like the the Negavolt guys, the Traitor Guard, the Beastmen, and then the new expansion that's introduced, like the newer cultist guys, there's a separate box of them as well, and it's really cool, because it means that there's a, a reasonably sized box of Chaos cultists available now, and really nice, yeah. like, modern looking ones as well. Not that the Dark Engines yeah. ones look bad, but like like you say, you can only get like five at a time and it's just never really been
1: accessible. Yeah, well, well I'm, th- I'm thinking of putting together a couple of uh, blob squads of 30 just so I've got the variety to pick and choose when I start making mm. and adapting proper army lists when I start playing with it. And um, having a bit of variety that you can... Uh,
0: I mean, I'm really, in, really tempted... In those to... things is... I- I'm tempted to pick up a box of these guys myself just to turn into... Necromunda models like house right. scum and bounty hunters and yeah guilders and stuff like because particularly yeah. so what the um corpse guild guys i think would look really good converted out of these particular cultists so yeah i was looking at
1: the girl, these up. these existing chaos cultists today uh, as i was packing my bags and uh, i realized how much they look like uh, redemptionists some of them
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: some of them do uh, so, the, yeah, I just that uh, having the additional options and additional variety uh, cuts down on the need for converting, although I'll still end up converting some stuff, mm-hmm. I'm sure. Um, what else have I had on working with? And that, that's more or less it. I've got a couple of dreadnoughts that I've just put base colours on, a Blood Angels one and a Dark Angels one. Uh, and I'll let you make the obvious joke about this. Is that another Chaos dreadnought? Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> Uh, and a land speeder that I brought, and I, I can't, just can't decide what chapter it should be. I was thinking I was going to paint it as Blood Angels one, but then I keep, keep thinking, well, maybe I need another land speeder for my Rainbow Warriors. So I've not really started that one while I've been here. That's just primed and ready to go. So there, my works in progress, really. Uh, There's a fairly long list, but I've been cracking through stuff while I've been. Well, like you say, it sounds like Paint Station Patrol. Busy on with stuff. Yeah, and I've been setting myself up with a little bit more as well. I. Uh, it was my birthday earlier this month, and um, as a present I, I got a 3D printer, so um, I've also been building up some other stuff to uh, to feed into my hobby. I, uh, I've already 3D printed a squat, and uh, a rhino, and um, I, I've been doing uh, some little bits of epic stuff, I, I like 6mm. Uh, so, I've got a whole load of uh, STL files from a Kickstarter that I've been printing off. And and some movement trays that I've, I've only used in Age of Sigmar so far, but I like them so much and I definitely will be printing more of those for, for use in 40K as well.
0: Cool. Like, I, I imagine having a, a 3D printer is really helpful for 6mm stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's surprising uh,
1: the, the detail and quality, even just on a home 3D printer that I've got. Yeah. Um, I'm really impressed with it. It's not the kind of thing that would, would be, you know, everybody would want. But um, it, I, it's just so much fun for me at the moment. It's a new skill. I like, I've got a workshop and I, I do little bits of things like that at home anyway.
0: And of I course, uh, something I else. Got, that... I think if ever I got hold of one myself, I'd be using it to print out like custom bits for my orcs and stuff. yeah
1: absolutely and there's all sorts of things you can do with it and there's a there's a website called thingiverse where you can get all sorts of things from uh if anybody's got a 3d printer and is not familiar with thingiverse uh go and find thingiverse.com right now (laughs) but you probably are already (laughs) Uh, but it's something else the kids like as well um it's it's interesting them seeing seeing sort of manufacturing and and design type things and how that all works so um yeah that's that's called their interest too cool so, so I'm sure I'll probably have bits of that that I'll post up on the group and on Twitter um, in the near future as well.
0: Yeah, you'd be able to let us know what you settle on for that land speeder. Yep.
1: yep. <laughs> I think it's going to be a rainbow warrior.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, now I've just got images of my head a bit flying through the sky with like rainbow exhaust fumes behind it, which I know is not how it would work at all. <laughs> It's completely uh, not I'm 40k, but just when you said that, that's just what jumped to mind.
1: <laughs> I, I have got one painted already. Maybe I've not put that on the group. I'll I'll add my Rainbow Way Landspeeder to the Rainbow Way Earthhead. Uh-huh. Awesome.
0: Cool. Uh, so is that everything from your paint station garrison? At last. That's the end of the long list, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, at the end of the long paint station garrison, but it sounds like the start of the long war for you. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> i mean. there. Uh,
1: Many different types of space frames in my armies, But I find the, the painting, as we've talked about before, is a real good way for me to relax. And um, mm. that's one of the reasons perhaps
0: that list is so long. Well, looking over at my sort of pinstation garrison then, I mean, I am pleased to announce that I finished the Gorkonaut.
2: <laughs> Yay! <laughs>
0: like, I literally finished so, ruining the base yesterday night. Super. Has has gone a little bit faster than you expected, right? To be honest, yeah, it has. Like, it sounds like it probably took a while because I swear I've mentioned it now on my Garrison for probably the past maybe <laughs> four shows, which is like half the, the lifespan of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, but it's a big model, and realistically, it's been like my side project. It's not been the thing that I've been sitting down and working on every day, but it's been the thing that just when I found a bit of time on an evening at home, I've done a bit more on and he's. How done, and that's awesome. And he's huge and cool, and yep. everyone's been really like positive about him on social media and stuff. Like people have been loving him over on Twitter and Instagram. So uh, I haven't posted the finished versions of him yet, um, but unbeknownst to um, my like followers and stuff, they won't know it yet. But I actually got some new uh, photography kit stuff from Amazon the other day. Just just a light box, but. It's really yeah. helpful, um, and I've been having to play around with that, and that's really fun. Yeah, that's like, but is it one of those foldable light boxes things? Yeah, it is. It's just like a desktop one, yeah. um, and it's literally just big enough to fit the Gorkenot in. Like, if anything, the Gorkenots are <laughs> a little too big for it. Um, yeah. But it's done its job and it works well, and it does wonders with things like um your more standard sized scale models. So even like the yeah. Mega knobs and stuff, I had a little go with them in that, and. Uh, they they look really nice when just done on a, a nice clean evenly lit white background. It just it's really Absolutely. nice. So I mean, it really is. Uh, it Really, just take photography to another level,
1: and and you can see things in your painting online then that you, you just didn't see before. The stuff looks so much better, and it, it really those, those those kind of fold tent type things
0: mm. for for small scale photography are fantastic. So I'm looking forward to taking more pictures with that. And as I say I haven't got him in there yet for his final photo shoot but he will be soon so he's yep. now all based he's got his tufts of static grass on there his rim's been painted in and all the weathering has been done and i'm really really pleased with it and uh, i'm looking forward to getting him actually on the tail for a game all painted so that's cool um but he's not the only thing i've been working on let's see. um what I have also finished since the last show is the first two of the planet strike craters that I've been working on. So I've posted one of those to Instagram, which was the like laser burn crater. Okay. The one that looks like a, an asteroid's dug a trench as it's, it's landed. Yeah. And that, um, and now it's kind of got like the sort of like a, a lava pool in it. Um, so it's all bubbling and glowing and all the rest of it. It looks really cool. And I'm really pleased with that. Um, it was, the lighting effect actually didn't take too long to do. i sort of just knocked out in ten minutes really because it was basically <laughs> it's such an oxymoron, but it was I was using like wet dry brushing. Yeah. Um, so that I was sort of like blending the colour tones whilst dry brushing. And it actually yeah. came out really smooth and nice and I'm really pleased with it. Um and then the other one is I've actually finished the black stone comet craters. So one of the other ones that you get in the Planet Strike crater set is this. It's like one molded plastic crater piece, but it's like four individual little comets that have hit and created okay. a little set of crater impacts. Mm-hmm. Um, but to make it visually interesting and so that it can often work as like an in-game objective or whatever, rather than just being any old rocks or asteroids that have hit, I've painted the like um, comets up themselves as blackstone. So, okay. like, precious material, and you know, something that armies might be fighting over, and it's a really nice, interesting contrast on the, like, on the, the paint scheme because they're these really glossy, black, shiny rocks that are then dug into these like, you know, earthy trenches and craters. <laughs> but um, I'm really pleased about how they came out, so I'm looking forward to seeing them laid out on a board at some point soon. Um. So they're the ones that we can't get hold of
1: anymore, right? The the old Planet Strike creators.
0: Yeah, they, they've been out of production for years, to be honest. I think it was like, uh, I don't know, pre-2010. It might have been like 28, uh, 20, 2008 or something when Planet Strike first came yeah. out. But um, you still regularly see them on eBay and stuff. The issue is finding someone who's selling them at a reasonable price. <laughs> yeah, as always on eBay. Yeah, as always. Um, but I did manage to... Uh, picked them up the other month, so i um, got two out of the four of them done now, and the other two are um, one of them is literally a crashed satellite, so it's kind of like a, a burrowed-in crater that's all piled up at one side. Whenever you've seen anything that's like um, a UFO crash example, it's quite like okay. dug into the ground almost. Um, but that's meant to be like an you know, Imperial satellite that's come crashing down or whatever. Um, and then the other one it's just meant to be like a large piece of like fallen masonry, not masonry, like fallen machinery or something. Mm-hmm. But to me, it looks like the socket of the ball and socket joint on like a wall on Titan. It's that kind of scale, okay. you know, so it yeah. looks like it's a section of Titan that's fallen um, yeah. and then caused a crate around it. So that's, that's cool. I'm looking forward to getting them done next. Um, so they're currently on my like, you know, work in progress. Um, But the only things, on my desk at work, on my lunchtimes, I'm still working on some more of the Orc boys for the deaf schools. So I'm now on to the fourth mob of boys. Um, So just more of with them, really. Like After having worked on the Gorknaught and the... What was the last thing I painted before the Gorknaught? It wasn't the Goliath. Oh, the Meganobs. Of course it was the Meganobs. has <laughs> spent so long on them. But <laughs> having worked on the Gorkanot and the mega Knobs, I painted so much armour recently that I felt like I just actually want to go back and do some more of the green skin and brown leather.
1: Yeah, you do run an armoured
0: force of orcs rather than a full foot slugging green entire, right? Yes, but it still means I have some more boys to paint, so I still yep. need to keep adding to them. Um, so alongside them, I'm still working on the war boss from the Blackreach box set. Um, So he's going to get done at the same time as the old boys. Um, I have put together and based the 5th Deathworld Forest, which is a nice, big, junky piece of area terrain for my Deathworld board. I just need to get that undercoated and I can start getting that painted up. Um, But the thing that's kind of skewed me off in literally the last week um, and and sort of made me uh, focus on is actually some Escher gangers for my Necromunda gang. And that is because, at the end of the month, I'm actually going to be attending um, a local event um, over in Holmfirth, so sort of like Huddersfield, uh, yeah. Leeds area. Um, but that's the Necromunda Assault event, which basically is like a, a one-day event, free games, Necromunda, 1,500-credit gang, um, and I need to get these four girls painted up because I need some reinforcements to take the actual gang list I want to take so there what, what format is
1: that tournament Tony is that a resurrection format
0: or is that a um, uh, an evolution
1: format for your gang over the three games
0: no so it's a um I guess it's what we call these days a skirmish format so okay. oh wait so. When you say resurrection format, do you mean one where like you don't suffer casualties and stuff between games? You start with the same Gang of Fresh at the start of a game. I guess I'm more familiar with Blood Bowl Tournaments. That's the terminology on the Blood Bowl scene. Yeah, so that that's what I assume you meant. And yeah, it's, it's kind of like that. It's a midpoint. So I... when you suffer a casualty in a game of Necromunda, you roll your injury on a D66. And basically, only a result of 66 is actually going to cause a permanent death between the three games. Okay. So, you know, the other 65 results either have no effect or um, you can suffer a injury reduction, like sorry, like a stat line injury, um, right. but the ganger is still available for the next game, which in like campaign versions of Necromunda wouldn't be the case. They'd miss the next game. Yes. So there's there's a little bit of degradation and there's a slim chance of losing a ganger between game to game, but essentially by necrom on the standards, you are refreshing every game. Does that make sense? Cool. Yeah, yeah. It <laughs> yeah, like yeah. So basically, it's um it's intended to play and feel like a resurrection format, but without losing that sense of there is a little bit of progression and a little bit of risk. Because it's Necromunda. (laughs) But it's significantly reduced compared to a standard game of Necromunda. Um, And how big that tournament's going to be? How many other players are going to be there? I don't know. I I posted about it on the um, Chronicles from the Underhive uh, Facebook group, I think only yesterday. Might have been yesterday. I can't remember. (laughs) Um, And Mm -hmm. already there's like, you know, a thread of people on there talking, uh, like, tagging friends in it and saying, have you seen this? Oh, I'm going to try and go to this. I'm going to try and get time off for it. And I, I have an odd feeling now that I might need to buy my ticket pretty pronto. Yeah, no, no, it sounds really good. Sounds really good. So hopefully i will be able to get those four finished in plenty of time. Yeah, yeah. I literally spent this week at work on my lunches working on them and already I've got um, the skin and the like undersuits done on all of them. And unlike my orcs, which I consider to be like my standard of battle ready... Which I know it's not like battle ready it is a step further than that, but I I have to do at least a, a certain amount of like detail and effort for me to feel comfortable with it. Um, whereas my Eshers, like my necromundergangers, I tend to try and go all in and do a lot more like multiple layers of highlighting and details and like I I paint on like hand painted animal print on like some of the um, robes and stuff. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't skimp on it when it comes to my Escher gangers. So even just getting four of them done, I'm still putting quite a few hours in on them. But that said, I'm also really pleased with what progress I've made already. I'm sure Madonna will be proud of you that you're doing hand painted uh, animal prints on their clothes. <laughs> oh yeah, um, I'm getting a lot better now um, doing leopard print and zebra print. In various different colours, but essentially, like the pattern is always one or the other. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's why I'm working on. It. And, then, and then the last little thing that I've just sort of picked up, I've literally started painting tonight, is um, the first of the flight stands for my various Orc flyers, because I've modeled all three of these flight stands up as like proper scrapyard bases, so like a full big pile of scrap. Um, so, I figured I'd just ba- like batch paint them all at once it doesn't really matter which fire goes on which they all add the same theme to the basing but um, it's going to be a nice change to painting actual orcs instead I'm just going to pa- paint a pile of scrap but it's going to look cool yeah a pile of scrap with a transparent stand coming out the top I hope <laughs> mm, actually I'd, it varies a little bit from army time for me and I actually think with the way my orcs are painted aesthetically the blacked out stand I actually think looks better for them.
1: Okay, fair enough. But um, that's, that's what I'm yeah. anyway. Yeah, that's not normally what I do, but of course, they you <laughs>
0: So, it's cool. I'm, I'm sure I'll get a lot of comments about, how, how dare you think you have blacked out flight stands? It should be clear. Like, yeah, well, I quite like it. I think it, I think it fits the colour palette of the model a lot better.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and that's, that's something that's always important to consider is making sure that the full color palette is there, and and extending that to the base uh, because mm. um, the way that you base an individual model uh, and the color tones that you put on the model uh, model's base can, can affect the the way the the overall appearance of the model. So uh, it's always something I try and bear in mind when I'm planning an army uh, to to think about what uh, what I'm going to do with the base to make sure it matches or. or counterbalances oh, the colour
0: talked on the model itself. Uh, so, is that about everything from our collective Gapsons? Uh, I think we've talked long enough anyway. <laughs> yeah, I think we have. Um, so, uh, I'm not going to put a break in here, I'm just going to jump into this, but there's a, uh, there's a slight announcement to make now um, and basically that is that we're going to start up a monthly competition on the podcast and It's not necessarily going to be related exclusively to painting, but it's basically going to be like a hobbying competition. Um, So we're going to be calling it the Hobby Hero Challenge. And what it basically is, is I want to see all the cool hobby stuff that you guys out there listening to the podcast have been working on. And all you have to do is take a picture of it, whatever it is. And this could be painted models. It could be conversions. It could be like a battle report or a game you've played, or anything. It could be, you know, an intro game that you've said is wrong with your nephew or something like that. You know, just something that's engaging and cool, and you think I'd enjoy seeing. And at the end of the month, uh, I'm going to pick from all the stuff I've seen and um, anything that I think has impressed me or looks cool or whatever. I'm going to get in contact, and that's I'm going to announce that winner. On the, it's not the next show because we're going we're gonna to run it monthly so people have until the end of the month to submit stuff um, so I'll be like October 31st in this case and then on the following show after that the next time I record I'll announce the winner and announce the theme for the following month so that will usually be every other show there'll be a a winner of the Hobby Hero Challenge, and then there'll be the theme for the following month. Um, So, to get involved, all you have to do is, as I take a picture and then post it on either Instagram or Twitter. Basically, you need to send it to me on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer and use the hashtag Hobby Hero. Or on Twitter, send it to me at Narrative40K and again use the hashtag Hobby Hero. Now, each month, there'll be a particular theme in mind, and I've figured, well, if it's going to be the Hobby Hero Challenge, why don't we make the theme for the first month, Heroes? So, basically, any kind of heroic thing. Could be HQ choices, could be special characters, it could be, you know, Lieutenant Bastardo, <laughs> whatever his name was, you know, uh, it could be whoever, or whatever, some some heroic thing or model or moment i want to see it and um basically the winner every month is going to gain access to all our tier one patreon rewards for free so that means that you'll get access to the exclusive narrative wargamer discord and you'll also be invited to the um patreon only facebook group chat with us all so just a just a nice little thing that you know I mean, like, the main thing really is we want to see all the cool stuff that our listeners are up to. So, I want to get people involved and we want to see that. So, yeah, get involved, and you might even get a chance to win yourself some free Patreon rewards and come hassle us over in our Facebook chats or our Discord servers. And, um, yeah. So. yeah, oh, that sounds good. I look forward to seeing what comes in on that, Tony. Yeah. So, first month, uh, the, f- the theme is going to be heroes. They've got on until October 31st to submit stuff to me on either Instagram at Narrative Wargamer or on Twitter at Narrative40k and include the hashtag HobbyHero. Hero. I look forward to seeing everyone's entries. But now I think it's going to be time for us to jump over into games played. So we'll have a quick break and then we'll be back. Are you enjoying the Narrative Wargamer podcast? If you are, why not check out our community Facebook group at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook. We share our latest hobby projects and narrative battles and aim to grow a community for casual and narrative 40k players. We're always excited to see the awesome things our listeners are working on and it is a great place to hang out with other like-minded hobbyists. You can also find us on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer and over on Twitter at Narrative 40k for regular hobby updates on our 40k projects. And we're back, guys. So we're going to be moving on now to our games played, or more accurately, we're going to be moving on to Dave's games played because I have not had a chance to play any 40k. I literally managed to squeeze in one like gaming evening in the past two weeks, and that was to play uh, a game of ne- a pickup game of Necromunda with um, someone who I've discovered in the local area who plays. And um, I'm not going to go into great details of it, on it here because. If you want to hear about it, I'm going to be discussing it in more detail over on the Chronicles from the Underhive podcast probably later this month from, let's um, say, Tom over there on mm-hmm. the Chronicles is a bit a bit strapped for time at the moment, but we're going to get in the next show recording whenever we can and we're going to talk about it over then. Because, um, amazingly, the person I played is actually a listener of the Chronicles podcast and I mentioned that I'm in the you know West Yorkshire area and if anyone would ever be interested in having a game, just hit me up. So that's exactly what he did. <laughs> like, he got in contact with me over Facebook, uh, wondered where I might be, you know, he thought, you know, he might have been lucky if I was somewhere in like, you know, a mile of him, not a mile, sorry, an hour's drive, that's what I meant to say. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, maybe he might ever, you know, get to come up and meet me and play a game sometime. Turns out he literally lives five minutes down the road from my house. Well, that makes it easier then. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> And I tell you what, it was a surprise for him. You know, like he'd been listening to the show now for a couple of months, uh, just caught up and got to that episode where I mentioned um, the sort of area that I'm in and looking for more Necromunda uh, opponents. And turns out I'm five minutes down the road for him and he couldn't believe his luck. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> so, it's always yeah. good meeting local players.
1: Exactly. I had a similar I had a similar experience when I moved out when I moved down to Suffolk. Uh, I just put out a request and it turns out there was a lot of I'm still good friends with now who uh, lived in my village, and uh, in my new village, and um, that was a really good way to get into
0: local mm. gaming scene. But, you know, I'll say it right here and now, the same offer is standing and completely true for 40k as well. You know, if anyone listening to this show happens to be anywhere near the West Yorkshire area of the UK and is interested in playing some games, hit me up, let me know. Uh, you can find me over on our Facebook group, you can email me and um, the like, Links in the description. There's plenty of ways to get in touch with me, and I'd love to play some games with listeners. So, uh, yeah,
1: yeah, and likewise. Uh, I mean, if you're in West Yorkshire, talk to Tony. But if you're around Suffolk or Cambridge, uh, you know, reach out to me, and uh, I'd, um, I'm more than welcome to games of 40k mm. with
0: people uh, who uh, want to get games in and don't want to get again. And then uh, Chris and Jake are both in Derby, so it's just in uh, Nottingham. So, yeah, if ever you fancy playing Cadian Shock, feel free to reach out to him as well if you're in the local area. But that said, some one of us at least doesn't have trouble getting games because you Dave, you've had plenty of games, so would you yeah outhel well some of them for us.
1: I do regularly attend a club uh, on a Friday night in Cambridge, so uh, I do have an advantage that there are, there are quite a number of players there, so that, that helps. Uh, but yeah, and I, in terms of number of games played, this is, of course, uh, I've had a bit longer since the last podcast I was on um, than you have, so uh, a slight um- That's uh, true. Advantage yeah. on advantage. <laughs> uh, but I think the biggest thing that I've done uh, in terms of gameplay since, since I was last on is... Uh, One of the lads from our Wargaming Club, Uh, Scott, is getting married early next year. And we were looking to go to Warhammer World as a stag event. And when we figured out dates, it ended up having to be in August, which is about nine months before he gets married. So it's a bit weird, but, you know, any (laughs) excuse. Uh, But, you know, a couple of, well, three of the lads are teachers and... um, you know, time off for those guys is is a little bit more difficult. So, um, uh, yeah, we went up one Thursday in August uh, towards the end of the month and um, we spent 12 hours at Warhammer World, I think it was, we had (laughs) breakfast there, Uh, we played three different games whilst having lunch and... and, uh, First one's in, last one's out. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, we were there just before it opened and we were there leaving just as it was closing. So, uh, But then we, we have to travel a couple of hours to get there, uh, a couple of hours to get back. So um, it, it was all worthwhile, really. So, uh, yeah, big shout out to Scott, who's uh, getting married next year. And that was the excuse. And uh, he managed to get a couple of beers without getting uh, too drunk or losing too many games, which was good. <laughs> uh, but we booked a couple of tables. The first game that we did, uh, we booked two tables next to each other. Uh, and we had uh, just a big four-way King of the Hill kind of battle Um, not very narrative I've got to confess but um, uh, we did um, we had uh, my Rainbow Warriors uh, Scott the Stag had got his Death Guard, uh, Matt had brought Grey Knights and uh, Dan had got his Imperial Guard Um, and uh, that was just a a good fun four-way battle um, uh, that where we were just trying to get in I mean fantastic use of my uh, uh, Thunderfire cannon against the uh, guard conscripts to stop them capturing the flag and digging in <laughs> <laughs> on the first turn um, and then just traded a lot of blows with Death Guard and uh, I think uh, we, we called it after three turns because it was it was fairly clear that I think the Death Guard were going to win uh, by that point the rest of us being beaten up the teleporting in Grey Knights had not really done what they uh, wanted to do and um, uh, the guard were just about rolled up. They'd got some tanks behind their, their conscripts, but they, they'd taken a lot of punishment from both uh, my heavy weapons and uh, the, the Grey Knights and the Death Guard. So, uh, just to make sure they couldn't swamp us all. <laughs> but uh, that was a great game, uh, putting putting us onto uh, two consecutive tables like that with effectively a 12 by 4 board uh, and, and the target right in the middle of, between those. Uh, was, uh, we had a great experience with that. Well, one of the things that was annoying the <laughs> annoying the lads was uh, many people have seen the, the photos of my Warriors uh, uh, on the the wargamer War Game Facebook group, and um, they 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 are of a vintage, shall we say. <laughs> there's yeah, a couple but... of squads in there. A the couple of squads in there are the proper old RTBO one uh, space marines, um, and they are. They are bright, uh, they're, they're bold and bright on the table, uh, and whilst I think all three of the other armies, Matt's um, uh, Grey Knights, uh, Dan's Imperial Guard uh, and uh, Scott's Death Guard are better painted armies than mine, they're also armies that you see fairly regularly. Um, they, 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 they look, they're really good examples of it, uh, but the rain Warriors are not seen so often. So I got the repeated refrain of, Dave, are you playing this game or are you talking to somebody else about your Rainbow Warriors? <laughs>
0: <laughs> stop, somebody passes by and, and like just <laughs> That's right. looking at your army going, oh my god, Rainbow Warriors, I, I need to talk That's to right. this guy. Absolutely, absolutely.
1: Quite a few. Uh, yeah, there must have been a dozen people throughout the course of the day stopped and wanted to talk about uh, the Rainbow Warriors and how long I'd had them and was, could I still play them and did it, did it work, playing such old figures with the new 8th edition rules? And I can assure everybody absolutely it does, and we had a lot of fun. So, so that was good, and then we uh, we had lunch, and I uh, the others had done it recently, more recently than me. This is actually the first time I've been to Warhammer World in about 16 years I'd worked out. <laughs> um, I went on my birthday a long time ago with a wife before we had the kids. <laughs> so... Um, uh, I, I was really enjoying myself, and I, I went around the exhibition on my own. Uh, I, I had slightly shorter lunch uh, because I'd, I'd not been around the new exhibition, especially the um, the the multi-floor diorama of, of the, uh, uh, yeah, the the World um,
0: and all terrains. Yeah, it's a it's, it's, it's got display. a name, is it? Yeah,
1: it, it, I, I was really, really. I really enjoyed going around and there was nobody else around it was just me going through it so i had a bit of time and space just to look and see all the, the because the fantastic thing about it is all the mini little scenes all the mini little uh stories being
0: played out mm. across the whole thing the, I, the I especially <laughs> love the salt marines that are like chasing the helldrakes around the tower yeah yeah
1: absolutely yeah. and that, I, I, I remember being in there thinking that this, this has got narrative in it. <laughs> there's all, lots and lots of little stories being told. Uh, there's some Grey Knights that are fighting some demons that have obviously appeared in the middle of the uh, assaulting demon forces, and uh, all, all over the place, lots and lots of little stories. It was fantastic. Um, and then just seeing all of the other displays, that was only one piece of it, but so many other displays. But the the, the Orcs look fantastic in their cabinets, the, the all the Space Marine armies have got the Eldar it's fantastic, um, but the the one that I particularly remember, the one other that I particularly remember was the "Look at all these old things that we sell," <laughs> <laughs> and I'm looking at them, going, "I've just been playing games out there with figures that look exactly like these." <laughs> yeah,
0: look at so this uh, arcade collection from ages past. <laughs> That's exactly top of that what I was like. playing with them right now. Yeah, yeah. So uh, <laughs> that
1: made me feel old. But uh, apart from that, it was good. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, but then after lunch, I had, I had a one on one battle with the Grey Knights. Uh, whilst uh, Dan and Scott had a game between the Imperial Guard and the Death Guard, all the guards. Um, so my game with the Death Knight was uh, was, we played a, an objective based game. Um, uh, in, in there was a factory board that we jumped onto, because um, it was kind of quiet and we didn't really need to book at that point. Um, which was, it was like a loading dock uh, with some factory elements. Uh, nice amounts of cover, but also nice amounts of really well-balanced board of, of open terrain for fire lanes and stuff. Um, and it, it was just... Uh, the objectives we, we did use, but it didn't really come into play so much. We were looking at trying to uh, take each other because we said we wanted to capture the... Um, we. Um, We'd said that the objectives were particular pieces of equipment that each side wanted to capture uh, and take out, which was why the Rainbow Warriors were facing off against the Green Knights in the first place. Which is, is kind of an unusual matchup, uh, but we we got a story behind why we were trying to do that, uh, and it, um, it, it went backwards and forwards. Uh, my heavy weapons were less effective than I expected. His charges were a little bit less effective than he expected. I think uh, I probably got better dice with my um, uh, Devastator squad in close combat than he did with his um, uh, in Let's uh, go the Grey Knights that teleport and do close combat uh, the, uh, are
0: they the uh, Grey Knight Interceptors?
1: Interceptors? Are they called Interceptors? The ones with the they got little bits of white on them oh no yes. they're, the, okay.
0: they're the Purifiers
1: Purifiers, that's right. So he was assaulting yeah. me with Purifiers. And I think I, I just looked out and did better with my Devastators in close combat than, yeah. than either of us really expected. Uh, but, it, you know, I didn't hold up too much. I, I managed to ping off some wounds. And I've got a great photo. Maybe I'll try and get that up on the on the group as well. Um, of um, uh, three of my heroes standing back-to-back trying to fight off, uh, fight off Grey Knight Terminators. <laughs> so we, we got up to about turn four, and I was really... Uh, starting to be cut down properly by that point and uh, I didn't have much hope of winning uh, and the other lads had finished their game so uh, I conceded that game that he was clearly going to win <laughs> but that was a lot of fun as well and, uh, and then we had a bit of time looking around some of the other boards, I mean if if people have not been to Warhammer World, and I, I know you have Tony, the, the boards of there are available to play on that you can book or, or just pick up on spec when it's a quieter time absolutely fantastic that they maintain and they, they really no, give yeah. uh, a lot of depth to to, to the games that you're playing in terms of um, just the, the built up scenery, the the availability of uh, the different types of terrain that you can play on. Uh, some of the city boards or the boards that look like devastated woodland or or the more generic, even the more generic battle boards with, with the movable scenery. Uh, they're all themed differently and it, it's so much fun.
0: I, 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 I always especially enjoyed the the Necromunda boards they've got there, they're really special. I mean, they'd be perfect for kill team as well. And I have seen people play kill team on them before, but they're brilliant. And to be honest, if you actually because they're all four foot by four foot tables, if you booked out like say three of them and played on like a 12 by four foot, you could probably play a, a pretty good like somewhat tireless 40k game across them. So basically, just play without vehicles or non walkers and so yeah. you've all got infantry or walkers and you can play some pretty good 40k games on them
1: yeah we said exactly the same thing
0: because uh, it's they good
1: for <laughs> games Um cool so there the, the were the, t- the two big uh, games of 40k we played there and then, then at the end of the day we also uh, uh, all but me and one of the other guys had never uh, played this before, but we um, we all had a big game of 40k Munchkin in, in Bugman's Bar uh, to end the day. Um, so uh, I don't know if you've, you've played Munchkin at all, Tony?
0: I, I have not had the chance, but I have heard good things. I know it is a very so, popular game.
1: Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a classic card. In the board games community, it's one of these card games where you're you, you, you going through a dungeon and you're fighting monsters and looting treasure and you, you, the winner's the first one to get to sort of level 10 in a D&D style. Uh, but it's very funny, there's a lot of humour in it and, and it's quite good. Uh, and they've made a 40k version and it's um, it's, it's just as good, especially for, uh, there's lots of little bits of uh, 40k callbacks and lore in there as you would expect and uh, yeah, everybody really enjoyed that, so it was a good end to the day. Awesome. So that was sort of my Warhammer World experience, and um, as you can tell, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, but I've played three other games as well um, where it's in the in TNV the period. The first one um, was a game where I took my Space Marine renegades. So um, when I say that, I mean um, I take a mixed Space Marine force from multiple chapters, uh, with the narrative being that they are um, a breakaway group of uh, space Marines that have um, decided to band together and in support of the Imperium, but they don't like the corruption of the Imperium. So they they're still for mankind, but they're not necessarily for for the Imperium any longer. And uh, they're the basically separatists, the... aren't they? Yeah, and the, the trope that I usually put in there is, is because they've been away from their chapters so long, crusading, uh, usually without chaplains, so they've not had their moral fibre reinforced. Mm-hmm. So they've been led astray by people who've uh, their leaders who who become a bit disillusioned. And usually the, the ringleader in this regard is the, the aforementioned uh, Lieutenant Bastard uh, of the Rainbow Warriors, a, a primarist lieutenant who uh, has earned his nickname with his good saving throws. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, in this occasion, uh, we'd set up. Uh, I'd, I'd used some of my old bolt action series. I've said before, we've run we've a quite successful bolt action tournament in the past. i made a lot of scenery for that. Um, so, I knew I was playing Mike uh, from our club. Um, and Mike's the guy that I've, I've, a couple of years ago, I had a big Christmas campaign with. And he said, Well, you, we'll just play to a certain number of points. You bring that many points. Uh, and you can devise the scenario because you, he you said, you're good at that. It'll be fine, whatever you want to do. So I, I brought uh, a couple of like concert huts, uh, like the uh, tin-roofed uh, dome uh, shapes, not dome, um, semi-cylinder-shaped huts, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, and used those as a mining outpost. So we played uh, lengthways, um, or, and with those uh, about a third of the way in on my side. And then i just got lots of um, foam hills so i made a load of uh, hills out of uh self-expanding uh insulation foam uh, that we cut down and painted and uh, and flocked up um, and they they make really quite nice a uh, bouldery type uh, scattered hill terrain that would provide a lot of cover um uh, for for anybody coming in through the board um and and cut down on the number of um uh, fire lanes for heavy weapons um, and the scenario that i came so so they they came quite well we said it was the, the backwater world of uh Profundus secundus i think we called it <laughs> um the uh it was an abandoned mining colony and and my marines were up to something nefarious and the custodians have found out about it so they wanted to come in and stop us and the scenario we set up was that they because were coming in two waves with a third of their force in the first wave and then two thirds in the second wave. But they had to come down lengthways. And that worked quite nicely. Uh, We chose to do lengthways between us because Mike's force is almost entirely made of bikes, uh, apart from one or two guys on foot. So he got the speed to do that. I got a bit of a chance to shoot him. But the victory condition was really quite simple. Um, We treated the tuts as an objective. um, And he needed to be, at any time, if he was... Controlling the objective of the huts, that is to say, um, he had somebody within three inches of them, uh, and I did not, um, then then he would automatically win. So he got that, that auto-win condition to kind of balance out the fact that it was perhaps a little bit more difficult. Um, and, and that was a lot of fun. That worked really quite well. It went right down to the, the last dice uh, of the game. Uh, which was the, do we have a Turn 7? <laughs> the answer was no, and I'd still got somebody just inside. Uh, actually, it was a Tech Marine with the um, uh, Thunderfire cannon that was uh, managed to hold on <laughs> to the... Uh, uh, managed to move up very, very slowly, just uh, just in range to keep uh, hold of the objective. Um, and there were a couple of fantastic things. Seeing the jet bikes flying down the table, uh, the custodian jet bikes, was... Uh, uh, real fun thing that we like to see and uh, it gives a lot of uh, uh, enjoyment seeing those guys coming in the amount of shooting coming backwards and forwards and just the, the sheer strength of uh, some of those custodes, uh warriors, the toughness fight bikes, uh, made for a lot of dice rolling over and over again with my lieutenants and uh, captains causing lots of rerolls and he had lots of rerolls on his side. Uh, I think the, the other most memorable moment there was the venerable dreadnought coming in with a close combat fist and literally punching two bikes out of the air. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you see a lot of these these narrative things, and they, they're they the things that jump out, I remember. So, uh, yeah, uh, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, the, the next game I had was uh, a, a little bit more straightforward, a, a little bit less narrative, uh, Rainbow Warriors versus Ultramarines. It was a, a tactical objectives game. Paul wanted to play with tactical objectives, uh, my opponent. Um, and since it was Rainbow Warriors versus Ultramarines, uh, we decided it was a training mission. Um, so that kind of made, it made a little bit more sense narratively why we were using those sort of like slightly weird tactical objective uh, things that, that it was the... Uh, training mission controllers that were sending us in backwards yeah. and forwards um, so that was fun and i guess i guess you know he's great playing against paul and and he told me a bit about um using stratagems quite wisely he did really well he won that no out, out, um, without question he won that quite easily um, and he was using mostly primary ultramarines with a couple of devastator squads that were new to him um and we, But we use the night fight rules, the battle zone uh, from the core rule so Was that
0: the one out right. of the core rulebook?
1: Yeah, that's right. So you just get yeah, reduced uh, minus one to hit 12 to 24 inches, minus two 12 to uh, 24 to 36, etc. Um, and it just made the game a little bit more interesting. It pushed us forward a little bit more. Um, and and also made sense narratively within the context of a uh, you know, a training session, right? Yeah, like a night mission training thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the, uh, yeah, that was a really really fun game. Just slightly a little bit more in terms of narrative, but we made it work, and um, and that was good fun. And I, and I think the the last one I'll talk about is uh, Rainbow Warriors versus Two It's uh, against Declan from our club a couple of weeks ago. I think he posted up on the Narrative Wargamer Facebook group about this one with the description. He did yeah? Sorry, yeah. It really cool. Uh, yeah, we planned it. We were talking about it. it's one of those things that that went really well. I I only know Declan a little bit. He's he's fairly new to our club, but he's a he's a great lad. And we were we were talking about it a few days before. We agreed a points level. I didn't really have my list sorted out until the night. I've got a list of all my units that i can pull um and i've got my points values pre-calculated for their loadouts and i just had to make up the points values on the night uh but it's okay i can i can make a number of different armies about that but one of the things that i did do that i'd never done before is i use the stratagem chapter master um so i actually fielded my rainbow warriors chapter master for the first time mm-hmm. um not that i have a model i had to use my normal captain model because uh, what chapter master does is converts one of your captains into the chapter master But I certainly think uh, in the near future, when I get home, uh, I'll be uh, building up, uh, uh, converting a miniature for my Rainbow Warriors, Chapter Master, and and getting him on the paint station garrison as soon as possible. Awesome. Um, I even got a name, uh, Chapter Master Archon CL, which, uh, for those of you who speak French will know it's just the French word for rainbow. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, but uh, yeah, uh, so it, it was a little bit difficult finding the narrative in this one as well, uh, Space Marines versus tyranids. Um What's the motivation for Turinids? Kill everything and eat it, right? <laughs> so so um,
0: makes the Space Marine motivation avoid getting killed and eaten.
1: Yeah, it was a little bit of a last stand thing. My Rainbow Warriors could die quite a lot because I'm
0: not a very good general.
1: (laughs) So uh, it was a little bit of the classic last stand sort of scenario. We were both happy with that. That worked quite well. Uh, And when we set up, we ended up... I I didn't castle, but I did end up in in just like four feet on one side of the board. We agreed just a simple scenario, normal deployment, 12 inches in... um, uh, and, and kill them all within seven turns if you can, sort of, uh, with no objectives or anything like that uh, but um, we agreed that we'd try and uh, up the banter a little bit if we could uh, <laughs> uh, just to make it a little bit more fun, and uh, and, and that's the way it went really, um, I, there were some, some great moments in that, we ended up just starting on, it felt like we'd set up on a 4x4, four four, actually, even though we were playing on a 6x4, so the left-hand side of the table from my side was ignored a little bit. Uh, but Declan does a great job with his stratagems. He, there's a turn in his stratagem that I, I, I don't know the turn in this very well, uh, but he was playing it spot on um, that allows you to recycle a unit, a, a low-value unit, when when it's been wiped off the board, and you can play two command points, and it, it pops back on uh, within six inches of a board edge, and at least nine inches away from any of my units. And um, it just felt like I was being overwhelmed completely with terminans. <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> uh, just as soon as I wipe one out and start concentrating on his monsters again that same unit of tournaments or a new unit of tournaments would pop up again and i'd have to deal with them and i just didn't quite get on top of killing his big bonuses to reduce some of those effects really or, or to reduce some of the the support firepower that came in um i had a couple of my chapter master wasn't really particularly effective he was helping them reroll roll uh, missed to hits because uh, any missed to hit with a chapter master can be rerolled. it's not just just on a one um uh, but I didn't really make best best effect of that I don't think um, I, I did have a, a great moment where I teleported in my Terminator squad uh, behind uh, behind his lines and, and they made a, a great uh, charge and, and killed something really quite handily Terminators with the new Enhanced Rules, I can't remember the name of the rule from the new Space Marine Codex that gives them plus one attack if they're charged uh, or, if, or if they shock assault thank you uh, yeah. that that just boosts I mean it boosts all space me, of course uh, okay. it works really nicely on the terminators particularly because I've just got the you know the stereotypical terminator squad with a, a heavy flamer uh, everybody's got power fists and, and the captain's got a power sword um, so I that worked really nicely. It was a little bit of a glorious charge. <laughs> and then they got swamped by, by his other two ended heroes and eaten. <laughs> um uh, and he managed to bring up a um what's the word for it? A trigon, uh, the big uh, evil looking worm thing standing yeah. on its tail. Um and he brought that up and I managed to get it down to like two wounds, something like that, before he managed to charge into the bulk of my forces and I just I just couldn't over- overwhelming we i, I didn't quite uh, get uh, to the end of the game but by that point i was clearly overwhelmed and we were running out of time on club night so uh, I, I conceded uh, knowing that i was going to lose anyway and uh, declan graciously said well we'll count that as you running away then <laughs> <laughs> They've escaped before being devoured that's right, that's right. So, I mean, it just as you can hear, incredible fun game. We, we really enjoyed that one. We put a lot into it before. And uh, actually, even as... Um, that was on a Friday night. It was a Friday night before I flew out on this trip here, and um, while I'm at the airport, we were both still bantering about the game on our Facebook Messenger, uh, about how it had gone or what we thought had happened, or adding some more story and flavour to that's, some of the actions that had happened. So it's one of those games where you know it yeah, sits in the memory. you it's
0: a good game when you're still talking yeah. about it after you've done.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So that's it.
0: That's uh, the, the, the the three normal games I played on my trip to War well, it sounds like you've had a, a good old time playing 40k, which is excellent. Yeah,
1: and I think maybe maybe being on your podcast have uh, motivated me to uh, do more 40k. So I am appreciated for that. Thank you, Tony.
0: Well, excellent. I mean, that's the main reason I started the podcast. Really, is to get you know people enfu- like, enthusiastic about playing narrative games, and as I've said and before, and playing it you know, in different ways. Yeah, I think discovering more ways to play.
1: And I think if anybody is, is just a little bit stale on their 40k, or just just try some of these alternate rules, it mm. just brings
0: a little bit more life into the game. Uh, or not that- a little bit more chaos, as we're going to discuss in our spotlight topic, which I think we'll move on to next. Yeah, absolutely. Do you enjoy awesome narrative 40k games as much as we do? Do you wish there was more narrative player content online you could enjoy? Narrative Wargamer aims to be more than just a podcast. Our goal is to become a wider platform for narrative 40k content creation. Right now we are just starting out, but you can already find 40k articles and gaming posts on our website at narrativewargamer.wordpress.com We also aim to develop the Narrative Wargamer YouTube channel narrative battle reports, custom missions, expanded gameplay rules, and much more. If you would like to see awesome content like this, then please support the show via the Narrative Wargamer Patreon page. The support from our patrons helps us produce the show and expand our range of future content. You can support the show from as little as $2 a month, and it really is the best way to show us you are enjoying our work and are excited to see more. With your support, Narrative Wargamer can become the number one provider of narrative player content from the grimdark. and we're back guys so today's spotlight topic is going to be one of the battle zones from chapter proof 2017 now, i'll say a battle zone because that is what it is actually classed as but it plays a little differently to most typical uh, battle zones so this is the Empheric storms now the reason why i've chosen this to talk about today is because of the um the upcoming psychic awakening is going to be all about all sorts of like psychic upheaval across the galaxy and that is exactly what the empharic storms are all about so it's a battlefield that's meant to be in the grips of some big psychic storm some sort of like you know reality shifting battle and it's got a lot of special rules and things that affect psykers and demons in particular um so if any of you ever had the pleasure of playing with or against a Chaos Demons army back in 7th edition, they had this army wide mechanic that was called like the Warp Storm. So it represented the fact that if you were fighting demons, chances are things were not going well for that planet. <laughs> like there'd be Warp <laughs> Storms, Warp if something demonic and horrible would be going on and, you know, reality was not going to be stable. And at the start of every one of the demon players' shooting phases, used to roll on like a 12 a, uh, a 2D6 table uh, to determine what random effects the Warp saw was having on the battlefield at that moment in time. Now, when 8th... Uh, sorry. Towards the back end of 7th Edition, when the Rise of the Primarch stuff was happening, Games Workshop originally released the um, Empheric Storm cards. And it was basically a deck of cards that was designed to um, represent these psychic storms. Um and it had a very similar mechanic to like the warp storms in the Chaos Demon book. Then Eighth Edition rolls around, the Chaos Demon Codex loses that thing and basically demons don't have the warp storm anymore. And the ferric Storms were made redundant by the changes to 8th Edition. Chapter approved 2017 reintroduced them as a battle zone. So basically, we've mentioned battle zones before they usually have some sort of deployment effect or spe- like game-wide special rule or whatever. A few different things, but there's usually like a few layers to them. Inferix the Storm is simpler than that in that it's just a d66 table. Okay. And has a, you basically roll at the start of each player turn and apply an effect, but that effect has can be like positive and negative for anything or the psychers or demons or whatever it's really cool so i'll just give you a little rundown of it now yeah it's not one i'm familiar with tony so if you i don't think many people are like i don't think a lot of people even realize this exists but it's really cool so um the description in chapter proof is um if you have chosen these battle zone rules raging warp tides will affect your armies and their surroundings changing the laws of reality manifesting fell creatures and Imbuning Psychers with unfathomable power. <laughs> okay. there's literally just one basic rule for the battle zone, and that is the Raging Storms rule. Each player must generate a single empheric storm event at the start of each of their turns. To the generate a storm event, roll two dice, one after the other. The first represents the tens, the second represents units. So it's a D66 roll. Uh, some events are instantaneous. These are resolved as they are generated. Other events are persistent. If you generate a persistent event, the effect lasts for that event. No, the effects listed for that event apply to both players until the start of your next turn, at which point they will cease to have any effect and you will then generate a new event. If a persistent event that is already in effect is generated, a new event should be generated instead. So, d six table, roll at the start of each player turn, resolve what happens on the storm. And I'm just going to quickly run through them all because it's not going to take that long and you'll get the gist of the sort of thing that's um, happening.
1: So I assume from the way you say that there aren't 66 of these, right? <laughs> there aren't
0: 66 entries in this table. No, so it's 36 entries because there are okay. six, six dice results of tens and six results of units. Okay, but each each combination that okay. Cool. Yeah, so Each combination like... gives a different result. Yeah. So eleven through sixteen are six different results. Twenty one through twenty six are six different results. Super. Go ahead
1: then, don't let me hold you up. It sounds yeah. like a fairly long list.
0: But we'll we'll rattle through it. So psychic interference. Increase the warp charge value of all psychic powers by one, so it makes powers one harder to cast. Otherwise on a twelve, psychic boon, decrease the warp charge of all psychic powers by one, makes them all one easier. 13. Um, Emferic Shield. All models gain a 6-up inbun. If a model already has an inbunt save, you instead add one to the roll at making the inbunt saving rows. Uh, 14. Null Tide. Models cannot use invulnerable saves. 15. Okay. Total Power. If a Psyker rolls any doubles when taking a Psychic Test, that power is automatically manifested and no attempts to deny the Witch can be made to resist it. Uh, 16, the Denzins hunger. If a Psyche rolls any doubles when taking a Psychic Test, they suffer Perils of the warp. So, that's just the results 11 through 16, and you can see already they're kind of paired, so like 11 is a a negative towards casting Psychic Powers, whereas 12 is a bonus towards casting Psychic Powers. Um, The Shield and Null Tide is a bonus to Inbuns, or no (laughs) Inbuns.
1: but they last until the start of your next turn so they
0: affect you and your opponent's next turn yes yeah. so if Null Tide was in effect no one on either side could take any inbound saves but right. then again if Empiric Shield was in effect both players get 6 up invents on everything or plus 1 to anything that already has an inbound so suddenly those Storm Shield Terminators have got like 2 plus invuns. they're not going yeah. anywhere right. Yeah. Until next turn, when maybe suddenly their Storm Shields stop working. <laughs> <laughs> True. True. Um, so it's not just a pure list of boons, it's like bonuses and negatives. Okay. Um, so results 21 through 26. 21, Warp Search. The range of all psychic powers is doubled. Whereas 22, Warp Ebb, the range of all psychic powers is halved. Then there's some really fun ones. So uh, 23, Psychic Apophysis. Randomly select one character in your army that is not a Psyker. That model immediately becomes a Psyker and, re- and remains one for the rest of the battle. This model can attempt to manifest the smite psychic power once in each of your psychic phases. However, this model suffers perils of the warp any time they fail a psychic test. And that, That's any model? A- any character
1: that is not a psychic. Any character. Okay. I was gonna say it's not not trooper Bob in imperial
0: guard army, it would have to be uh Lieutenant com- Dan. Yeah. Or uh <laughs> amusingly, Commissar Dave, who then shoots himself Commissar for Dave. his own good <laughs> because he's yeah, not a yeah. psycho.
1: <laughs> I've been known to shoot myself in the foot more than once. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh number twenty four, warp total, basically select a unit from your army but not a vehicle that is more than one inches from enemy models and remove it from the battlefield to basically read deep strikes. So you can set it up anywhere over 9. Counts as moving, can behave normally. But that has to be a non-vehicle unit that's not in combat. Disappear, reappear somewhere else. Cool. 25. Reality speeds. All models add 1 inches to their movement characteristic. Psychers and demons add 3 inches to their movement characteristic instead. Or okay. twenty six is reality slows, all models subtract one from their stats to a minimum z- to a minimum of zero. Psychers and demons subtract three from their movement stats to a minimum of zero. So again, more speed or less speed. Yep. Thirty one warp shadows. When making hit rolls in the shooting phase, subtract ones from subtract one from the result if the target is more than twelve inches away. Subtract two for the mod twenty four and three for the mod thirty six. It's so the same like as it. Right, yeah. yeah. And 32. Um Emferic Might, all models add one to their strength characteristic, psychers and demons add two to their strength characteristic instead. Empheric Resilience, all models add one to their toughness, demons and psychers add two to their toughness instead. Empheric Fury, all models add one attack, Psychers and demons add two instead. Empheric Courage, leadership, plus one, plus two for psychers and demons. But then, you've got things like Result 36, Empheric Terror. All models subtract 1 from their leadership characteristic. So and demons subtract 2 from their characteristic. Uh, result 41, Warp Regeneration. Every model on the battlefield regains one lost wound. Could you imagine if that happened to like your Primaris Marine Army, and suddenly all the units that happen to have a wounded squad member gets his wound back? They're cleared, yeah, yeah. Um, 42 emphoric foresight you can re-roll hit rolls of 1 you can instead re-roll failed hit rolls made for demons or psykers so basically everyone gets to suddenly have a space marine captain or if you're a demon or a psyker everyone gets to be a space marine chapter master Right. right. emphoric feedback roll dice for each psyker on the battlefield on a 4 plus that model immediately suffers a mortal wound so don't want to be a psyker in that result uh, 44, Conduit of the Immaterium. Randomly select a Psyker on the battlefield. So that could be Friend or foe. That Psyker immediately manifests a psychic power it knows as if it were its psychic phase. No psychic test is necessary and no attempt to deny the witch can be made. After resolving the psychic power, the Psyker suffers perils of the warp. So basically, a Psyker on the battlefield suddenly just fires off a, a random psychic power but can't be stopped. You overcharge the cycle like you might do a plasma. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, 45, warp resu- oh, sorry. Warp resurrection. Select one of your infantry units that is on the battlefield. You can immediately return one slain model to that unit. You can yeah. instead return D3 slain models to the chosen unit if it has the troops battlefield role. Okay. So That's that similar into... to the space magnetic effect, but um, just a yeah, little bit helpful, to little you know, yeah, the, the warp is my apothecary. <laughs> yeah. yeah. um, Empheric Mastery, reroll failed psychic tests and deny the witch tests. So that one, suddenly everyone's rerolling tests. Yeah. Overwhelming Power, randomly select a Psyker on the battlefield. Double that model's strength, toughness, and attacks characteristics. Now, that could be quite fun on a like, space marine librarian, but imagine that happening to like Magnus or Mortarian. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the warp be calmed. Psychers cannot suffer perils of the warp, so suddenly it becomes really safe to manifest your powers. I like this one, 53. Psychic devastation. Each time a psychic power is manifested, and not resisted by the the witch test, resolve its effects. Then, resolve its effects again. If the psychic power allows you to target a unit, you can choose to select a different target for the second set of effects, or you can inflict double the damage, bestow twice the bonuses, or inflict, tw- or inflict twice the penalties on the same unit. No additional psychic test is required, and no denial of which test can be taken to manifest or nullify the second set of effects. So basically, double amplifies successful psychic powers. So you hit something twice, or you double bless something, or double debuff something. Mm -hmm. Or you can split it and do two targets per power. 54, Inferic Invulnerability. Randomly select a Psyker on the battlefield. Reroll failed saves for that model. 55. Uncontrolled mutation. Randomly select a Psyker on the battlefield and roll 2d6. If the result is equal to or greater than that model's leadership characteristic, it is slain and transformed into a chaos spawn. And then, before removing that Psyker as a casualty, both players roll off. Whoever wins the roll off takes control of the chaos spawn for the rest of the battle and sets it up anywhere within 6 inches of where the Psyker died and model one inch for enemy models. And then we have some really, really fun stuff because this is where like the demons of the warp really start messing around if you start rolling high on this table. Right. 56. Dark Possession. Randomly select a cycle on the battlefield and roll 2d6. If the result is equal to or greater than the model's leadership characteristic, it is slain and transformed into a demon prince of chaos. I was going to say that, that. could be quite horrible everywhere, right?
1: That could certainly yeah. change the whole balance of a battle.
0: It really could. A lot of these results could. Yeah. Um... 63 Unreality Reigns. This, this one baffles me because it's really funny, but functionally, it doesn't really do anything. All dice rolls of one count as six, and all dice rolls of six count as one. Uh,
1: it does have a functional effect because you can still re roll ones, they count
0: as six, they don't become sixes. So yeah, you but can't. Then, if any you... sixes you rolled count as ones. So statistically. You're just going to roll as many sixes as you are ones, but now the ones are sixes and the sixes are ones. It like... so, so
1: if you've got an ability to re-roll ones, uh, does it affect
0: ones or sixes when that's in effect? It would affect sixes, because your sixes count as ones, so you get to re-roll them. Okay. But then the ones that you rolled count as sixes, so they've hit, so you won't be re-rolling them. Okay, that's... Some... Like, yes, yeah. you're right. That has no other effect than to mess with the player's heads, does it? Yeah, it's it's such a Zinchian thing. Like, apart from some very odd edge case effects, it basically doesn't really do anything other than just confuse the hell out of Wargamers mm-hmm. because they're so used to sixes being good and one's being bad, and now suddenly yep. you have to rewire your brain for the turn. <laughs> maybe that explains why some special dice have the symbol on a six and some have the symbol on a yeah, one, just for those kind of
1: situations. <laughs>
0: Uh, 64, Psychic Stun roll a dice for each Psycho on the battlefield on a 6, that psychic immediately loses one randomly selected Psychic Power it knows it cannot use this Psychic Power for the rest of the battle mm-hmm. and then the really interesting ones 65, Demon Tide both players roll off and whoever wins adds one unit of the following to their army and sets it up anywhere on the battlefield that is more than 9 inches from any models either 10 Blood Letters 10 Pink Horrors, 10 Plague Bearers or 10 demons. It's basically, some demons breach through the warp and pick someone to prey on. Or if you roll a 66 on the Emferic Storms table, there has been an Emferic Breach, which means both players roll off, and whoever wins adds one of the following to the army and sets up it anywhere on the battlefield There's more than nine inches for any models. Either a Bloodthirster of Unfettered Fury, a Bloodthirster of incenate Rage, a Wrath of cord Bloodthirster, a Lord of Change, a Great Unclean One, or a Keeper of Secrets. Okay. So you get to summon a greater demon because it's breached through the warp and, again, it picks a side and then yeah. it just goes to town on the opponent. But you know that could happen when. Imagine you were playing your game against the Tyranids, and suddenly a bloodthirster just ripped its way through reality to help you fight back. Yeah, yeah, that would be kind of weird, but kind of fun as
1: well. I do like that kind of randomness. Uh, that, that, that what you described there does appeal to mm-hmm. me, especially since there's always going to be two, two, two effects in play at any one time. So it's going to compound the yes. randomness,
0: right? Yeah, so most of the effects are persistent and therefore will last from one player's turn until that same player's following turn, which means that a lot of the time there'll be two effects in effect at yeah. once, unless it's something that's like everything instantly gains a wound or everything potentially gets smited.
1: Um, uh, that's good. That that really does... I mean, it, it is different from the other battle zones, but it gives that same... Uh, effective behaviour where you're having to play against the tabletop, against the battle zone. No, not play against, respond to the changes that Mm. come about to to the battle zone, not just play against your opponent's army and not just uh, optimise your your game for your min-maxing your movements and your army
0: list, but you actually have to dynamically respond to events as they happen. I I like that, that's good. one One of the key things to consider with this battle zone is that you have to... Really, have either psychers or demons on both sides of the field. Like, it could be psychers versus demons. Like, this is a perfect scenario to use when you're playing grey knights versus demons. Like, I think this would be brilliant because you could get those turns where, you know, the demons get a little impeded by the warp because it's not quite empowering them or helping them, but suddenly they might get some reinforcements. Whereas the grey knights, suddenly they've got so many psychos roaming around that they, they could just all be super powered. If they get a turn where everyone gets to do double psychic power effects, they're gonna be smiting demons off the board. Yeah, especially since every unit in the green
1: Knights can actually cast some kind of power, right? Um that's a lot of a lot of psychic phase.
0: Yeah. Um like but then again it would also be quite cool to see like say Thousand Sons versus Eldar, you know, a game like that where suddenly, because there's psychers on both sides, the storm is actually having a large impact on each one. Like, If you've got to randomly randomly determine a Psyker, and what you're playing is, like my Orcs have a random weird boy, and I'm playing against Guard, who happens to have one primary Psyker, it's like, randomize a Psyker, okay, let's see which one of us gets turned into a Chaos Spawn. Well, that's my Psyker gone. Yeah. Oh well. But if you were playing a game where you've got Squad, you've got the squad sergeants leading the thousand sons, like the aspiring champions. You've got three or four sorcerers, two demon princes, um, Magnus himself versus like a 4 seer council, Eldrad, Hemlock, Wraith fighters. You know, all these things are psychers. You've suddenly got a board where maybe twelve plus units on the board actually are psychers. That's yes. when the storm gets really interesting because there's a lot of. There's a lot of variance, but that means that no single one result's probably going to be too swingy on gameplay. Yeah,
1: no, it does sound like an expanded
0: version. We both played, we both talked
1: about before, a different battle zone from one of the Vigilus books. I want to say that uh, I certainly played it against Grey Knights, and I think you played with your Hawks against...
0: Yeah, so that one that was the Warp Geists battles. War- yeah, that's which right. so- the 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 difference between the two really is that the Warp Geists one is more, it's it, it's more manipulative in that the psychers on the field are able to influence the Warp Geists and influence the effects that are happening, and there's a bit more yeah. a battle of wills going on. Like that one yeah. really feels like it's a cabal of psychers battling it out. Whereas this one is more a roiling storm of psychic energy that's kind of, you know, exerting m- its will on both players. Yeah, there's more randomness, more different things that can come about as because of it, right? Mm. And certainly with the you know whatever's going to be coming out with the psychic awakening stuff, we don't know how relevant the, you know, these storms will prove to be. They might be really cool to add into the mix. And I mean, I think this is, um, I think this is a little bit of a secret source option for if you're playing a chaos versus chaos game. Yeah. Like if you're playing a game where you get your iron warriors versus wordbearers or whatever, you, you and your mates both have a couple of chaos armies and inevitably you end up playing a good number of games where it's chaos versus chaos. Well, suddenly, that's a game where both players have both psychers and demons in their army. And they don't even have to be using, like, summon demons. Things like Possessed, Obliterators, the Greater Possessed, all the rest of it, uh, the Lord Discordant, all these things are demons. Yeah. So they're going to be getting involved with these, a lot of the Storm effects, as well as the Sorcerers and the Demon Princes and the psychers So I actually think if you're going to try playing a Chaos versus Chaos game, this Inferic Storm table is actually brilliant for representing... Like some warband feuds taking place on like a demon world where reality is that subjective. Suddenly, you know, corn is throwing skulls down from the heavens. You know, demons are breaching into reality and just picking a side to start fighting with.
1: Yeah, it sounds good. It wasn't battles that I was aware of at all, actually, before you, you put it into our show notes. Uh, so it sounds like another one that I want
0: to put on my list that I want to play yeah, I mean, I think what they did actually do is they kept these compatible with the original Emferic Storm cards from 7th edition because I think all of the results in the 66 table have the same name as a card in that right. deck. So, although the effects on the card might be different, like for example, they're not going to reference Smite because Smite works entirely differently in 7th edition. like yeah. it didn't. That was just a particular power in the telekinesis. Um, Uh, law at the time but anyway so the result the effects of the cards are different but I think the cards are all named the same so you could still draw them to determine and then you use the table in the book to actually apply the result so if you happen to still have them they do still have some use but I never got a chance to pick any up myself yeah I never picked them up in the first place I'm afraid so (laughs) Mm -hmm. but that's certainly something that I think is a very overlooked um, set of rules and I think it could be really interesting to see them come to the foreground again in the the new psychic awakening. So, I just wanted to mention it. You know, I wanted to do a little episode on them, quick little spotlight. Yeah, no,
1: that's really good. I them. think I'll I'll definitely be picking up uh, my book when I get back to the UK and having a look, uh, uh, read through that, and see whether I can't persuade somebody to include it in a game. Maybe when <laughs> I've got my uh, Black Legion just... a little
0: bit more painted and I've got more demons in there. Yeah. I'd just avoid trying to get any Necron players or Tower players to do it. (laughs) Because they're they're going to feel a little left out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Even Tyranids have (laughs) psychers. Oh, baby, brilliant with Tyranids. They've got so many units in the army. Yeah, yeah. I'll mention it to Declan. (laughs) Yeah. Um so speaking of the psychic awakening that's a nice little segue for us to just jump into our latest news and releases because there are a few little lecture things that have come up that have been spoiled and to be honest by the time the listeners will be hearing this I think the first major preview and reveal will have happened which is next Monday for us I believe um, but who knows I'm looking forward to what it's going to be so we'll be back in a second guys <laughs> And we're back. So we're now on to our news and new releases. And basically, we're just continuing to be trip fed a bit more of the previous for the Psychic Awakening. As I mentioned previously, chances are by the time people are hearing this, we probably know a bit more. But unfortunately, I'm not psychic. Or, you know, maybe <laughs> I am this time next week. But who knows? <laughs> right now, we I'm. All not. Will be. We're all going to yeah. be here, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's what they're promising. Um, but no, what they have promised us so far is the new Jane So, the first of the new Phoenix Lord sculpts. I say the first because, to be honest, if they've done one, people are going to start clamoring for others. But um, I, I, I think they will get a lot of grief if they'd only done
1: Jane and they'd not done anybody else. Yep. But yeah, Jane Zar, oh, she looks so cool. It's, it's a really, a really nice, nice model, model. Yeah, I mean, I like I like a lot of the previous ones, as you know. Um, I talked earlier about liking some of the old Eldar models, but this this is a really nice new sculpt, and I think uh, as I'm slowly building my Eldar up, this may have to be one of the models
0: I add to the collection. I mean, I just think the whole the fact that her feet are even touching the ground, it's done so well. Like the whole model's just balanced off that like pigtail, uh, yep. but I think. Like I've experienced this a little bit with the Escher models in Necromunda, but I think it Games Workshop it Stargate to, to the point where models that only have a small point of contact on the base are not necessarily flimsy. So I think she's probably going to be great. Like from building and painting point of view, it's just such a nice model. Yeah, I I, I agree with you completely,
1: um, Tony. Mm. That, that the the ability for these these new plastic models to have that kind of strength that we wouldn't even consider in the past. I mean, I only need to, one of the things that we know will also be coming up in the next couple of months is sisters and I have a couple of the old uh, metal penitent engines and they are are horrendously fragile. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They look sturdy, they're certainly very heavy, but if, you, if I was to ever drop one on the floor, it, it would explode like a frag grenade, I'm sure. Um, and he, he, even with the, you know, those, those small points of contact that we see on Jane's eye in the pictures here, I, I'm quite certain, based on my experience of other modern plastics, that it'll be an awful lot more stable than, than some of
0: those old Fragile models. Mm-hmm. And she's so definitely, definitely looking be, She's definitely been cutting a wave through enemies as well. Like they've they've not given us a ton of info, but they've spoiled her um, Storm of Silence special rule.
1: Yeah, the the,
0: the additional uh, attacks, and
1: um, what is it? If she charges into a mob, uh,
0: well, she, she, she 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 rather than attacking with the number of attacks on her profile, she can instead not. make two attacks per enemy model. I think it's something like two inches of her, which is right. like two ranks of enemies. Yeah, so. She only needs to get four enemy models within two inches of her, which is not hard to do, and she'd have eight attacks. Yeah. And she could probably get a lot more if she passes something like an Orc mob. Yeah. So she's going to be cutting a swathe through enemy ranks.
1: Yeah. I mean, let we'll am just see what the points costs are when they're, when they're released, or at least the power level. I imagine the power level's going to be fairly high for, for a model like that. But... um yeah, I definitely want to see her released, basically, just so we can start getting her on the tabletop, get her painted, uh, start playing uh,
0: with the, the Eldar with her. But then, opposite her, they are also releasing a new Drazhar model, so we've also got the like, the de facto Phoenix Lord of the Incubi from the uh, Drakari range, and he looks awesome.
1: Yeah, I've never really fully understood all the background. There's one of the, one of my areas of weakness. Uh, is Dark Eldar, uh, knowing where they come from and what they do. But um, uh, he's certainly a very nice looking model. Some of his special rules have also been released as well to do with the the bonus attacks and um, the, the, his ability oh, Just yeah. to slay models uh, looks looks really nice.
0: Well, is so they basically. They've given him a buff in that all his attacks now with his weapons are damage two rather than one. So regardless of yeah. he's going for like his high AP, high strength, or his lots of attacks, because like so when he wields his blades as dual blades, he makes uh, two attacks per weapon instead of one. Which I don't know off the top of my head, but he probably has something like three or four attacks base. So yeah. say even three attacks base, that means he's making six attacks with dual wielding blades. Um. But they're all damage two, but he's also got the lethal precision rule. So if he makes an unmodified wound roll of a six, you add two to the damage characteristic for that attack. So suddenly six is to wound, the like damage four, that's more than things like the Neuron Laser and the uh, like Laser Destructors. Yeah. guaranteed min stats like he's he, so he's he's cutting you with his blade he's hitting you harder than like these laser destructors can hit you sometimes which yeah. just shows how lethal he is um but yeah like you, the, the reason why he's so lethal and why he can go to toe with jane's eyes because basically drazhar he's the he's known as the living sword he's the Executioner of the Incuby temples. So basically, he's like their most skilled warrior. Like okay. he's, No one can compare with him. But he's also this figure of mystery. Like, he's never been a particularly affiliate of any one temple. He's never even spoken a word. Like, he, he's just shown up, killed whoever's in charge, proven he's the best, and everyone just stays clear of him or follows him into battle, one or the other. Okay. And basically. He's kitted out in all this really ancient war gear. He's completely matchless. You know, he has no peers. No one's as good as him. And he knows every trick in the book of the Inky we've ever known. And he's skilled in every blade and weapon and technique they ever use. And it's basically because, although never officially confirmed, it's all... And this is both, like, in the real world and in the lore. It's all rumour that he's actually the Dark Phoenix. He is the Fallen Phoenix Lord. Oh, okay. So the Striking Scorpions Phoenix Lord, um, Karandras, he's actually the second Phoenix Lord of the of the Striking Scorpions. Oh, okay. The original one um, was known as, um, I think it was Arar or something. But basically he turned from the path, so he actually became like, this Chaos Phoenix Lord. That's the really old Lord. He's not Phoenix-associated now, but basically he he kind of fell in with a Dark Eldar, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I only knew that, so that's interesting. I shall have to do some more reading. Yeah, basically, Karandras was his, um, like, star pupil. So Karandras right. stepped in to then become the Phoenix Lord of the Dragon Scorpions once his mentor had, like, turned from the path and fallen. Um, right. And the belief is that, um he went in and founded his new aspect shrine in the dark city and that became the incubi because they have a lot of parallels with the aspect warriors of the craft worlds and the believers that drazhar is actually the phoenix lord of that temple like that way of war that way of life which is why in the new phoenix rising box set we're going to be getting gensar versus drazhar because it's phoenix lord versus phoenix lord <laughs> Right, okay, that makes sense then.
1: It should yeah. be such good to see these models on the table, Thomas. This is also a really nice-looking model for, for Jazar, so um, I'm really looking forward to seeing the rules and getting him in,
0: in, in play. Yeah, I'd love to see him on the table. It's going to be awesome. Um, but, like I say, that's that's all we know at the moment. Uh, hopefully, this time next week, we'll know a lot more, and we'll probably have a lot more to talk about on the Psychic Awakening in next show. Um, other Hope than so. that... We'll just sort of pass over it a little bit to be honest, but the recent news was that Games Workshop is actually going to be partnering up with Marvel Comics to produce a range of 40k comics, so if you're a fan of either Marvel or Games Workshop, something to look forward to there. Yeah, I, I
1: confess comics are not really my strong point, but it's an interesting matchup, certainly it took me by surprise. Uh, I think one of the things to remember is is Marvel Comics is not the same as Marvel Films, right? There's quite a distance between those, so uh, yes. Marvel Films is more closely associated with Disney, so um, that doesn't mean that Jane always is the new Disney princess, uh, just because of the <laughs> No, It sounds no. like more that... Marvel are going to be writing or create, creating comics uh, set in the 40K universe. Mm. I think it's what we're going to actually see,
0: right? Well, I mean, I've seen and read a handful of like 40K graphic novels and comics before, like in years past. And they've always been really good and very you know, grim, dark, and 40K. But they've never quite had that like backing of a major publishing entity like Marvel behind it. Right. So to see what they're going to come up with, you know, like what is Marvel going to do with the the 40k IP and the sort of comics that they're going to produce, I think will be really interesting. And I've followed a lot of sort of like, you know, comic book lore and culture within like, you know, DC and Marvel, but I've never really been an actual comic book guy. I've never really owned any else. I haven't read them, <laughs> but maybe this is the thing that, you know, gets me to pick up something. You know, yeah, yeah, I I'd certainly try out some 40k comics, so... It's it's certainly interesting. I I don't
1: think we've actually listed our show notes, but these kind of link-ups with some of these big firms that have got the the big visibility, like the new Bandai Space Marine model uh, Mm. that's available for pre-order as well uh, at the moment that's that's popped up in the last couple of days. I think those kind of strategic alliances are going to get Warhammer and Warhammer 40,000 brands uh, much better known in in, in the general public around the world uh, in a way that they've not been in the past.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's funny to think that you know, two, three years from now, you could have someone who's n- never owned any, like, Warhammer 28mm Wargaming figures, but they yeah. could be sat at home with their Bandai um, action figure intercessor on the wall whilst yeah. they're flicking through their Marvel Comics 40k comic book between watching episodes of Eisenhower on Netflix. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, like, absolutely. Who can believe that that is the potential kind of 40k world that we might be living in in just a couple of years' time? Yeah, let's not imagine the real world's going to go into 40k, though, that that might be the wrong <laughs> thing <part> to imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Maybe, maybe the birth of the Emperor is just around the corner. Oh, maybe this is where <laughs> um where it all And yeah, that's basically all the major news. Um, since the last show, was say, uh, I reckon we'll have a, probably a larger, more bumper... New section in the next one but we'll have to wait till then um, so we're just sort of wrapping things up now and just before we go out the door we'll have a quick look at our community spotlights so Dave have you got any picks at all that you want to mention anything you've seen out there in the world of 40k
1: yeah a couple of things one the first one is something you've mentioned uh, a couple of times before and I'm I'm slowly catching up on which is the two peas and a pub drop pod podcast
2: um
1: uh those are uh, great guys i i started decided to start from the beginning so i'm still a, a couple of tens of episodes behind the current times uh, but uh, i'm slowly catching up and um, their 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 chat between between themselves between all of them that are part of that podcast is just something that's fantastic for, uh, that i really enjoy having on in the background uh while i'm i'm doing hobby and um whether they, t- they talk about all different aspects of uh, 40k and, and Age of Sigma as well, um, and um, mm.
0: yeah, it's brilliant. If they're... anybody's not come across them, absolutely. Come up. I know I've mentioned them once or twice, but I feel like recently as well, they're really good representatives of a generalist games workshop yeah. podcast. So they talk about Age of Sigma and 40k and Lord of the Rings and Aeronautica and Titanicus, like everything. You know, if you want a show that covers a lot of the different Games Workshop IPs, then they're definitely one of the podcasts I'd suggest looking at. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, then the other thing I was going to mention is, uh, it's a slight more, not really general community, it's an article I spotted in uh, uh White Dwarf, actually, in August, uh, on page eight, four page article by Phil Kelly, who talks about designing the background of the worlds uh, of, of uh, 140k and Age of Sigma, particularly all the changes in 40k and, and, of course, the rebuilding of the whole uh, Warhammer universe to, to lead up to Age of Sigma, and about how they did it and why and what they were trying to achieve. And a lot of it is about giving players the opportunity to create narrative, to tell stories, to find their armies in this world and find out what their armies are doing in this world or these worlds that we choose to play in. Um, and it just, when I read it, it just rang the chimes of this is exactly what we talk about on this podcast. And here's Phil Kelly publishing in White Dwarf an article saying mm-hmm. exactly the same as we do. Uh, I, I, I just wanted to emphasize it on the podcast because it's absolutely, I think it's, it's spot on. Uh, well, and, and the kind of things we're saying is one of the valid ways to play. Of course, you can be a tournament player, and if that's what you enjoy doing, that's fine. If all you do is watch Eisenhorn on Netflix, and that's the only way you engage, <laughs> that's absolutely fine as well. But, but for people like us, and I'm sure the people who listen to us talking on a regular basis want more narrative. And uh, Games Workshop are absolutely open <laughs> about the fact that that's what they're trying to build into their games is the kind
0: of kind of style of play that we like. That sounds to me like we need to get Phil Kelly on our show. (laughs) We should try. We should try. So if Phil, you're listening by any chance, then get in touch because we would love to have you on. (laughs) Tag him on Twitter when you uh, put the recording out. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm sure sure he'd love that. Uh, Cool. Um, And then My Community Spotlight is another podcast that I've been listening to recently and that is The Codex podcast um, and is a 40k based podcast and they've actually probably only been running just about as long as we have really I think they've just published our episode eight recently so they're they're sort of just starting off themselves but they're, they're doing really well I think they've mentioned on their last episode that they've just hit uh, a thousand lifetime downloads um, and I know that we prior to this recording, um, the narrative audio podcast is just shy of 900 lifetime downloads on Podbean, at least, and that doesn't include things like iTunes downloads. So we're, we're kind of sort of like on par in both scale and timeline. <laughs> so it's really interesting to see how those guys have been like running through their podcasts and the sort of stuff they've been talking about. And I really enjoy it. Um, one of the things that's really good is that they're both. I think one of them currently is a commission painter, and I think everyone has been a commission painter in the past. So they have a good like hobby bench segment and stuff where they talk a lot about like the painting side of the hobby, as well as news, releases, gameplay, stuff like that. But I think they do really well for talking about um, like painting techniques, the current projects they're working on, and like commission what they're doing. And I think they've got some really good hobby tips. So if you're interested in um, a 40k podcast that has a good bit of like, you know, painting advice, then uh, I think that's a good one to check out. So that is the the Codex podcast.
1: As you've been talking right now,
0: I've just gone on to
1: uh, uh, iTunes uh, podcasts and uh, subscribed. Uh, so <laughs> it sounds like yeah. the kind of thing I'm interested in. And they, they sound even more northern than us. Oh, yeah, they do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, by um, which I mean the, the description says they're from the northeast of England and,
0: and we're yeah. from Yorkshire of course um, so yeah definitely go check them out uh, but in the meantime before you hop over there definitely make sure you leave a five star review for this show um, or a like or subscribe or wherever you're listening to us whatever positive feedback you can give us would be great and as i mentioned before, but if you want to find us on Twitter, you can do over at narrative40k, Instagram at narrativewargamer. You can come join us on Facebook and join in all the community posts there and see all the wonderful things that everyone is working on, see the sort of battle reports that people have been talking about, the latest projects. You can even, you'll even get to see my finished Gorkonaut over there. So it's worth it for that alone, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> um, otherwise... Like, subscribe, and until next time guys, as always, discover more ways to play in your games with 40k.